Do you want more? <laughs> of course. Um, no, for real. Like it, it really. This this started as an, a quick illustration that I was going to use in a sermon. That that's this is how it all began, and and as we began to unpack more and more and more, really, I was like, guys, this is. A, these are phenomenal stories that we can tell, that we can share. People are asking, so what's going on here? Like, what are you guys all about? We can go, hey, listen, listen to this, watch this. This is what God is up to in the individual lives of people as he brings people together from all walks of life. Um, and so we intentionally stopped it at Mike because what happens after that was incredibly powerful. And so I, didn't, I haven't seen it, but I have an idea of where it's going because of the conversations I've had with Mike. And so I'll, I'll give you this, and then I promise you we'll get to the text this morning. Um, I remember when we first started Rooted in the early days when we used to meet in the evening, a lot of my illustrations were uh, black and white, black and white, literally, and I'd stop there, black and white. And then Mike would come and say, hey, man, you know, every time you say that, like, um, I feel like I'm not in the room. Like, you're not, it feels like you're not speaking to me. And so you, you've probably noticed now, I'll go black, white, colored, Indian, Asian. And then two weeks ago, I was told about our Arab brothers and sisters that are on this continent. And so, and so the list grows because of God's creative genius. Um, and so that hit me hard when he said that. And so we began to dialogue a little bit and came to the conclusion that, look, um, for our Caucasian brothers and sisters, you can track where you come from. Now, now hear me out. I'm not saying exactly where you come from, but by the, your surname, you can go, well, I am probably of Dutch or English or Irish descent, okay? Uh, black people in the room, we can do that as well, right? I'm Tswana, so I know my story. I know my tribe. I know where I'm from, and somehow it's I don't know why it's always connected to Shaka Zulu, and then there was this war, and then we fled, and like, but, but we can do that. We can do that. Um, and then Mike was like, yeah, by being in a transcultural community, that almost forces me to be me, that I don't have to assimilate. I don't have to pick, uh, I got to be white or I got to be black. I, got, I can be me. It took him on a journey to go, okay, so where do we come from? And him realizing that, that their origins is centered around injustice. That that's where their origins are. It's injustice. It's the fact that there was through colonization, they came, and then the Khoisan, and then there was slavery, and like, he's like, that, that's my history. But the gospel redeems that. And by being here, that's allowed me to do that. It's allowed me to go back and go, listen, I know this is where it all started, but God rescues, God redeems. And so th that conversation just, it kind of just went there, and apparently it was pretty emotional, and so I'm really, really intrigued to see that. Um, so we're going to package it. Like I said, that was just really rough. And so we're going to put it together real, real nice and then give it to you and, and hope that it'll be a resource and a tool to you guys. And it'll add to our story, to what God is doing. We are in part three of our series titled, Why So Transcultural? The first week we looked at the Torah to show that, that this has always been at the heart of God. This, this idea that God is forming a family for himself from all people. And then last week we looked at the poems. We were in the Psalms, again, to, to reveal to us that, that God has always been about the nations. Yes, it may have started in Israel, but he's always been about the nations. And so this morning we're going to look at the prophets to see that God has always been about the nations. It's not an addendum to the gospel, this idea of being transcultural. It's not a nice to have. It's not an extra, but it's a direct implication of the gospel. But I'm going to be honest, this 
is probably the, the hardest sermon I've ever have, had to prepare. And it's going to be the hardest that I've ever had to deliver. Um, I wrestled this week. I wrestled a lot. And so those words, Aura, that you shared, uh, they, they were for me. Um, because I, I was incredibly fearful. But I, I have to remember that, that God is at the center of everything that we do. Um, and that I'm not called to fear man, but to fear God. And so I'm hoping that what I'm sharing, you will see in the scriptures, that this is not my own idea, but rather found in the scriptures. And so this morning is going to come across uh, more academic than sermon. Uh, I'm going to be teaching more than preaching this morning. And so I'm going to be here the whole time. Usually I walk around and I'm all over the place. And, but, but this morning, I'm going to try to stay here because what I have to give you is incredibly important. I'll also make this available to anyone who wants this um, after the sermon. So I'm going to start by giving you a statement. And then I'm going to try to unpack it through the scriptures. Again, to show you that this is not my own idea, but that this is found in the Bible. So I'm going to give you a statement, and then I'm going to unpack it. And so here's the statement. If a transcultural community requires reconciliation, and true reconciliation requires justice, then a transcultural community must acknowledge and embrace biblical justice. I'll say it again. If a transcultural community requires reconciliation, and true reconciliation requires justice, then a transcultural community must acknowledge and embrace biblical justice. Our text this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 to 9. And so I'm going to read it, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get to work. So hear these words of our Father. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon you. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to know other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come now seeking wisdom from you. Um, I ask that you would uh, reveal yourself to us. Um, and as difficult as this morning may be, we ask that our hearts would be softened to you. Uh, would you open them up? Um, I know Many of us have walked in here with many challenges, um, struggling with a lot, uh, but I ask that you would meet us where we are. Uh, make this text real to us. Uh, Father, we love you, uh, we praise you, and would you show us through your very word our desperate need for you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So I'll start with the first, and if you can throw that statement back up again, I'll start with the first part of it. If a transcultural community requires reconciliation. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be brief here because, to be honest, it's quite obvious. Why do we talk about unity in diversity? Not only in here, but outside as well. It's, it's like it's on everyone's lips, this idea of unity in diversity. Well, it's because we use our differences to alienate one another. And so for a call for unity, we must have reconciliation. When there's a call for unity, there must be reconciliation. Uh, If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, you don't even have to be married. If you're in any form of relationship, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When there's a call for unity, we must talk about reconciliation. We, We can't separate the two. And so in a transcultural community where we're seeking to reflect, embrace, and enjoy the diversity of our context, then we must have reconciliation. More so here in a transcultural community, we must have reconciliation. But then let's move on to the next one. True reconciliation requires justice. True reconciliation requires justice. Justice. Now, the word justice can be misleading. It can be confusing depending on where and how it's being used. The definition seems to change depending on who's demanding it. See, there's justice for the overbearing or the overlord. When you're in a position of power, a king, a politician, a a boss, a bully, a warlord, justice often means might makes right. I have the power, so what I say goes. See, for the overbearing, justice means just do what I say or you'll be sorry. On the opposite end of the scale, justice for the underdog or the oppressed, in this case, can mean right makes might. To get my rights, I will fight the overlord. Sometimes with words, sometimes with civil disobedience and protests, which sometimes lead to violence. We should certainly understand and support anyone who stands up for their rights and works to win their rights. The danger comes, however, when the underdogs get their rights and then are tempted to become the overbearing. The vicious cycle that we have seen over and over and over throughout history. So according to these views, one might conclude that justice means just us. And at some point in your life, either through discussion or experience, you may have found yourself in both positions. You see, we tend to alternate depending on the topic. Alternating between, that's not fair, and, well, that's just the way it is. But you see, the Bible speaks of justice as well. See, the Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. And it occurs in various forms more than 200 times in the Old Testament. Its most basic meaning is to treat people equitably or giving people their rights. It means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, regardless of ethnicity, culture, or socioeconomic status. See, it says anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same penalty. Mishpat, justice, simply means giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. 
See, if you look at every place where this word justice or mishpat is used in the Old Testament, several classes of people continually come up. Over and over again, uh, mishpat describes the taking care and the fighting for widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. See, the, the scholars would call this group of people the quartet of the vulnerable. These four groups over the course of history have had little or no social power. But today, this quartet has expanded to include the refugee, the homeless, the disabled, people of color, the elderly, and dare I say it, gentlemen, women. Mishpat, or justness, of a society, according to the Bible, is evaluated by how we treat these groups. Any neglect shown to the needs of the marginalized is not called merely a lack of mercy or charity, but a violation of justice. God loves and defends those with the least economic or social power. And so should we. This is what it means to do justice. But now you might be sitting here and going, okay, Anna, where are you getting all this from? With what authority can you say these things? This is where we turn to our passage. Isaiah 42, verse 1 to 9. See, this passage is talking about hurting people. Like reeds, they are bruised. Like lamps, they are in danger of being smothered out. Their hurt and pain comes from a variety of sources. Diseases, sickness, natural disasters, war, conflict, economic recessions, and other people in the form of foolishness, ignorance, and selfishness. It's what we call sin. Or maybe the educated theologians, what, what they call the depravity of man. However it comes, it leaves many people bruised and hurting. And these people are all around us. They are where we live, where we work, and where we play. They're in this very room this morning. Sin, the depravity of man. So what do hurting people need? What do hurting people need? They need compassion. See, compassion is the emotion that one feels in response to suffering. But it is more than just an emotion. See, lots of people can feel bad for those who are suffering. In fact, a lot of people will even listen to those who are suffering. But then they do nothing. Those with compassion actually do something. People are hurting. People are suffering. And when you're in a transcultural community, you, you see that. You see that. You see the different forms of hurting and suffering. People are hurting. People are suffering. But I want to let you know this morning that God is aware of this. This depravity of man, this sin, God is aware of this. He is not removed from our problems, but rather he engages. And we see that in the opening line of our passage this morning. Isaiah 42 verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. This is Jesus. 
This passage is talking about Jesus. How, how do we know this? We see the same language used at Jesus' baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, hear these words. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's the same language. This is Jesus. So God sends his Son to remedy our problem of sin. This depravity of man, God sends his son. This is how he engages. But how? How does does he engage? Again, back to verse 1. He will bring forth justice. He will bring forth justice. So I ask again, what is justice? Justice is getting what you deserve. When a criminal gets thrown into prison, that's justice. When a human trafficking syndicate is arrested, that's justice. When a drug dealer gets sentenced, that is justice. When sinners stand condemned before God, that is justice. And so though we may not be criminals or human traffickers or drug dealers, and I hope that we're not, the Bible says that we are all sinners. And we all fall short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us are sinners. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, what language you speak. All of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2 beautifully says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, this act of disobedience towards God has destructive implications. Here on earth, it has destructive implications and it must be punished. This disobedience, when, when we believe that we're in control of our own lives, where we're the masters of our own destiny, when we believe that we are to sit on the throne, we offend God's holiness. We offend God's holiness, and all of us are guilty of it, each and every one of us. And if God is loving and fair, if he is loving and fair, then he must instill justice. He must instill justice. It is owed to him. So the servant's task is to bring this justice. But he does so with compassion. He does so with compassion. Verse 2 and 3 of Isaiah 42, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. See, God's solution to the oppression of this world is not more oppression. His answer to arrogance is not more arrogance. His answer to violence is not more violence. His answer to rebellion is not more rebellion. Even though God had every right to respond that way. He has every right to respond that way because we have offended His holiness. He's the only one that that has remained pure and faithful. It's us 
who are, are not pure. It's us who are not faithful. He has every right, but he responds differently. He responds with compassion. He answers differently. He answers with a gentle, meek, quiet, humble, and compassionate servant. I'll go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, it captures it so beautifully. Paul has just written that we are the sons of disobedience, children of wrath, deserving of this punishment. But in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, he says, But God... Oh, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For you, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He sends a compassionate servant. A compassionate servant. And this servant will not fail in this task. He will not relent until this work is done. The saving of God's people. How do we know this? Verse 4 of Isaiah 42, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So what is the implication of this justice on our lives? What is this implication of this justice on our lives? A better way to say it is, what is the implication of the gospel? Because this is the gospel. What is the implication of the gospel? The wrath of God absorbed by Jesus. What is the implication of that? The punishment that you and I deserve for offending God's holiness. But then it is poured out on Jesus. What is the implication of that? Well, because of this justice, we are declared innocent of our crimes. That's the implication. We are declared innocent of our crimes. To use the language of the Bible, we are declared righteous. Verse 6 of Isaiah 42, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. This, this Hebrew word, sadaqah, can be translated as being just, though it is usually translated as being righteous. This word ultimately refers to a life of right relationships. When you are declared righteous, it means uh, that, that Jesus' righteousness has been accredited to you given to you so that now you are right before God where before you weren't. Your disobedience couldn't allow it. But now you are declared righteous. You are right before God. Declared righteous. Sadaka. But it ultimately refers to a life, a life, a life of right relationships. First right with God and then by implication of being right with God, you are then right with others. See, the problem in our individualistic society, we usually tend to see this word righteousness in the Bible only in terms of private morality. 
such as sexual purity or faithfulness and prayer or study. We, we make it about ourselves, and then we put a full stop there. Oh, I'm being declared righteous. I'm right with God, and that's it. I'm done. End of the story. You can close the book. But it's more than that. It's a life of right relationships. And so, therefore, it refers to the day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. And so it's not surprising then to discover that where we see the word righteousness and justice brought together in the Bible, they paint a beautiful picture. Because justice has occurred. What was meant for you and I has now been poured out on Jesus Because God is loving and fair, he must be just. And so it's poured out on Jesus. And because that's been fulfilled, we are now reconciled back to the Father. We are declared righteous. But that reconciliation is poured out so that we are then reconciled to one another. Righteous with one another. A life of right relationships. And so go look for yourself. Go look for yourself in the Old Testament where you see justice, you will find righteousness. They are connected. They exist together. When these two words, righteous and justice, are tied together as they are over and over and over in the scriptures, the English expression that best conveys this meaning is social justice. Social justice. Justice. Now, remember, this must be anchored in the gospel. Otherwise, we, just, we simply just become a social movement. And that's not what God has called us to. We're not just a social movement, but yet we're called to social justice because we are anchored in the gospel. So what all this simply means is that the righteous, those who have been declared right before God and then right with one another, the righteous. It's the righteous who bring justice. In the same way, it was Jesus who was righteous. He was the one that brought justice. That's what it means. So who is this justice intended for? According to Isaiah, the servant brings justice to the nations. Here's that word again, to the nations. To the nations. We, we see it again in Isaiah 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by my hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. That this justice wasn't just intended for Israel, but it was for the nations, that God has always had the nations in his heart. The servant's justice involves the nations. Transcultural community. It involves the whole world. It involves Jew and Gentile. It involves every ethnicity, every culture, and every socioeconomic class. It is universal in scope. God has a mission to every tribe and language and people and nation who are equal in identity as image bearers of God and distinct and distinct in color, culture, gender, and class. We are distinct. We are equal in identity as image bearers of God, but we are distinct. I am a child of God, but in God's creative genius, I am a black man. 
And it continues, I, I am Tswana. And he has placed me in this particular time. I am middle class. We cannot remove that from one another. But it must be anchored in the fact that we are all equal as image bearers of God. And so this justice is intended for the nations. For the nations. The servant might be from Israel, but his work is not limited to Israel. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we become ambassadors for Jesus' justice to the world through our faithful testimony of Jesus, his death and resurrection, with the urgent call to repentance and faith. Because if provision has been made to be rescued from judgment, the judgment that you and I deserve, if an escape has been provided from the punishment that we have brought on ourselves because of our sin, then to share this news, this hope, with others is the most loving thing that we can do. And that's why I find it incredibly confusing when I meet Christians and they go, you know what, we don't really have to share the gospel. We don't really have to share the gospel. My question to them is, man, are you sure the gospel has come to you? Do you fully understand God's beautiful plan of justice? That you, once upon a time, were a son, a daughter of disobedience. You had offended God's holiness. And he had every right to punish you, but rather he sends his compassionate servant, his very son, to absorb the punishment that you and I deserve so that justice may be fulfilled. He declares you righteous. He declares you righteous. Right with him and then right with other people of every nation. Not just people who look like you. Of every nation. We are called to share that incredible message of hope. This is a powerful implication. It has a powerful implication. That if this is true, if this gospel is true, and this is what it does, then as followers of Jesus, as his ambassadors of, of his justice to the world, then all that we do, all our ministry must be one of sacrificial love and generosity to those who are vulnerable and marginalized. Because we get it. If you've crossed the line of faith, you should get it that you yourself were vulnerable and marginalized. You were being oppressed by sin. It has a powerful implication. Let me say it this way. One of the, the clearest and most holistic words for justice in the Hebrew language is shalom. We spoke about this last week. It's shalom, which means both justice and peace. Shalom includes universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Or everything to ensure people's well-being, their security, and in particular, the restoration of relationships that have been broken. That's what it means. That's what shalom means. Universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. The restoring of relationships. Because our relationship with God was broken. And that has been restored by the power of the gospel. And now there is peace between us and God. Shalom. 
But that has implications on the way we interact with one another, where relationships have been broken. Shalom, it restores that and it brings peace. Justice, therefore, is about repairing broken relationships, both with other people and to structures. Of legal courts, money and economics, land and resources, kings and rulers. The book of Leviticus unpacks all of this. God says this is how you are to to do social justice, and he unpacks all of this. And it's not just to people, but it's to structures as well. How the economy functions, legal courts, land and resources, all of it is laid out for us. Remember, justice is about restoring our broken relationship with God to what he intends for us, which includes our role in God's purposes for all of his creatures and for the world that he has made. Being reconciled to God, then reconciled to each other for the reconciliation of all things. I'll say that again. It's being reconciled to God, then being reconciled to each other for the reconciliation of all things. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 18-21. We have been given the message, the ministry of reconciliation. What God has done through His Son, He has now given it to us, to the church. So the biblical words for justice all relate to fairness, judgment, love, and the healing of God. And so if that is the case, it is clear that justice should be part of our worship. Justice should be part of our worship. Worship is more than just singing songs on a Sunday or driving in your car and listening to your favorite Hillsong track. Worship is more than that. Worship is more than that. It's all of your life. Living that right before God and then right with one another. And so therefore, justice should be part of our worship. Uh, Listen to another prophet. Another prophet. The prophet Amos. In chapter 5, verse 21 to 24, he says, I hate, this is the Lord speaking, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I love that. I love it. Now I, I, I know where modern Luther King gets these words. No, no, we are not satisfied and will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. He said that in his I have a dream, in his call for unity and diversity, in his call for justice. He quotes the words of the prophet Amos. Justice must be part of our worship. Now look, when I study the scriptures, I like to look at different translations. It just helps me unearth the passage. I like to preach out of the ESV, but I like to go to different passages to go, well, what does the King James say? And what does the New Living Translation say? And every now and then I find myself in the message. Now the message is a great translation to read. I wouldn't preach out of it. I wouldn't necessarily study out of it. 
But what it does is it contextualizes the words for us, for us 2016 middle-class South Africans. It translates it quite nicely for us. And so when I read the words of Amos in the message, I was like, wow, it cut a little bit deeper. It cut a little bit deeper. Listen to Amos' words in the message. Same passage. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all that I want. God says that we are to do justice. We are to do justice. And that it is a part of our worship. It simply means we understand the gospel. That's what it means to do justice. It means you understand the gospel. Now this is some of the strongest language in the Bible about worship and justice. And it clearly makes a connection between the two. God takes no delight in noisy worship of his people if their worship is disconnected from justice. We have seen how worship can serve as a cover-up for injustice. We have. We've seen it. Our own country has seen it. How we can call ourselves a Christian nation but turn our eyes away from the injustice that occurs. And I'm not just talking about the past, I'm talking about the present as well. We fail to acknowledge the injustice that occurs outside our church doors. And I'll be the first person to admit it. And I'm going to do this in my own personal capacity. And then I'll tie the church to it. But in my own personal capacity, I fail to see the injustice that occurs in this very room. And the prophets say that that this can't happen. If we have been transformed by the gospel, this should not happen. God does not delight in our worship when we neglect the injustice that occurs. The only way way worship can be made pleasing to God, according to Amos, is to let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Again, you see those two words together. Mishpat, justice, sadaka, righteousness, together. There is an interrelationship between justice and righteousness in God's eyes. And a worshiping community is only acceptable to God if its members are acting every day to make justice more possible in this world. Remember, it's a right relationship first with God. I will make that point over and over and over again. It is a right relationship first with God, then a right relationship with one another. So justice most simply means, simply put, means putting things right again, fixing, repairing, restoring broken relationships. That's where we get reconciliation from. And doing justice restores our relationship with God and makes our worship of God authentic. Why am I speaking about this? 
Because in a transcultural community, where there are so many differences, the call for reconciliation is going to be so much higher. Because we're going to be tempted to pull away from the creative genius that God has here to go, you know what, no, no, I actually want it my way. What about me? What about what I want? Mine, my style, my preferences. No, I want you to listen to me. We'd be so tempted to be, to be pulled to that in a transcultural community. The call for reconciliation is so much higher. And so therefore the implications of justice and righteousness are so much higher. There should be justice, biblical justice. And so we should be, we should be looking and trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's wrong? Where have we been unjust? And then how can we make it right as ambassadors of the gospel, how do we make this right? And so maybe that's my question. My question to you this morning is, how do we do, how do, we do any of this? I get it, I see it in the scriptures, and, and I see it's part of our vision, it's part of who we are. How do we do this? The guys spoke a little bit about it in the video. We leverage our privilege and power for the benefit of others. And that usually means laying them down. Laying down your privilege and power for the benefit of others, especially those who are marginalized and oppressed, to ensure that fairness and equality and justice are fulfilled. Before I go into some practical applications, I want to show you that that Jesus did this. Because you might be pushing back. Your heart might be pushing back. Let me start with the, the perfect example. Jesus did this. If we go back to our passage, Isaiah 42 Verse 5, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. What that is saying is that God creates and sustains everything. God creates and sustains everything. And so here's the question, who is the most privileged and the most powerful being? It's God. There's no one more privileged and more powerful than him if he creates and sustains everything. But what does he do with this privilege and this power? We see this in Philippians 2, where Paul writes that, listen, Jesus saw himself equal with God, but then he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He leveraged his privilege and power by laying it down. By laying it down so that justice may be fulfilled, so that we might be reconciled, so that we might be declared righteous. And so I say it again, if you're sitting here trying to figure out how do we do justice, we leverage our privilege and our power. And that usually means laying it down. Now, an easy example would be to talk about, well, black and white. That's, that's an easy one, black and white. Let's, let's Get some illustrations, black and white. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm not going to do that this morning. One, because I think we need to be in smaller groups and it's just, there's a lot more conversation that needs to happen there. So, so I'm going to use a different illustration, one that is equally important, but I think we tend to neglect. And that's the relationship that exists between men and women. Men and women. 
the injustice that has happened to women over the years is horrible. It is horrible. And so we are called to do justice. We are called to do justice. And I know I might be just speaking to the men this morning. But I want you to take this illustration that I'm about to walk through as I give you some practicals as we, as we take this, as we land the plane. But I want you to feed it through all of life. And so we may not be talking about the black and white, but, but you can feed this through it as well. But I want to talk about men and women and the injustice the injustice that has happened to them. And so I, I, this week I've just been thinking about it. This is why this has been incredibly difficult because my privilege, my male privilege, often doesn't allow me to see the injustice that happens to you ladies. And so I've had to reach out to some of the ladies in the church and say, listen, can you show me? Because I have major blind spots. And I'm biased in lots of areas because of my male privilege. And so I was thinking to myself, what, what, what are some things that I need to do? What are some things that we need to do? I'll give you some pointers to how to do justice. The first is to repent. It's to repent. To repent, to, to apologize, or to, to turn away from, from what you thought was right, to turn to what is right, is to repent. And so I'm doing that. I'm doing that in my own personal capacity this morning. I'm repenting to God to say, God, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the role that I have played in the injustice that happens to women. Both in personal relationships and in the forming of the structures that exist. And then to each and every woman in here, I'm sorry. I repent. I repent. I know some of you might be sitting here going, but I wasn't there when some of these structures were formed. I wasn't there. I wasn't there August 9, 1956, in one of the largest demonstrations staged in this country. 2,000 women of all races who marched to Pretoria's Union buildings to present a petition against the carrying of passes by women to the Prime Minister. I wasn't there. But I've benefited from it. I've benefited from that injustice. How, how, and how have you benefited? I can walk into a room, maybe with a female, and know that people are going to naturally gravitate to me. They're going to think, listen, he's the one that's in charge. He's the one that knows everything. He knows all the information. That is privilege. I have benefited from a structure that was built that way to benefit me. And, and as I've spoken to some of the, the ladies, they talk about this privilege when they walk into a room and they feel so little. I can understand that because I feel that when I walk into the room and I'm the only black person in there. And so I know what you're talking about. So I may not have been there, but I have benefited from it. And I need to take ownership of that. 
Oh, but do we need to re- repent for, for, for things that, that other people have done? How do you become a Christian? You repent and believe. Why do we need to repent? Because Adam and Eve sinned. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. But I repent. We see it in the Old Testament over and over again where the prophets say we should repent for what our forefathers have done. Not because our repentance will save them, no. But I believe he's tying it into this, but you've benefited. You've benefited from the evil and the injustice that has occurred. So we need to own it. We need to acknowledge our privilege and our power. We need to acknowledge our privilege and our power. Now, I know there's some places, and I know ladies, sometimes guys will say this, oh, man, I, just, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that's how you felt. I didn't know that that's what was happening. I had no idea. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's true. But there's a thin line between I really didn't know and just flat out plain ignorance. And I'm saying that in a transcultural community, that line is super thin. Super thin. Because I can get it when you're like, you know what, I have never seen a woman before. Like, I just, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know that that was happening. It was out there. I'm disconnected from it all. Like, but they're here. There's proximity. There's a very thin line between I don't know and just flat out ignorance. And so therefore, we need to educate ourselves. Gentlemen, we need to educate ourselves. We need to know the history. We need to know the history, the, the pain that our women walk through. We need to know that. We need to know currently what's going on. The fact that, that women are being paid less, significantly less. I got statistics this week that South Africa is ranked the third worst with regards to the pay difference between men and women in the same position. We need to know that. Educate yourself. We need to listen to stories from both the past and the present. We need to hear our ladies speak. The fourth thing that maybe we could do is we need to strive to create spaces where women can flourish and contribute to the flourishing of our community. We need to create those spaces. This is where I fail. Because often I don't think that way. My wife has to kick me. I'll come up with this great plan. This is what we're going to do as a church. And we're going to go on this camp. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. And then my wife will pause and be like, so what about the ladies? Yeah, I, I, just, I just wasn't thinking about them. What about the moms? What about the kids? In my mind, I'm just kind of going, oh, I guess they'll figure it out. That's incredible privilege. Used for evil and injustice. Instead of creating spaces where our women will flourish. I could labor on this, but we'll tackle it as we continue through the sermon series. The last one is, men, we need to be a voice. We need to be a voice. I said this two weeks ago. Saying nothing is almost as bad as playing a part in the injustice. 
We need to be a voice. A voice to do justice. And so when, when you're hanging out with the boys and then that inappropriate joke, we all know the inappropriate joke. You need to step in and go, guys, no, we can't say that. I know what's going on. It's like, oh, but then they'll think I'm uncool and then I'll, they won't be friends. Or, or like, Here's a good one. You know, I'm not going to say anything because I want to be strategic for the gospel. <laughs> Let me build relationships so I can, you know, I can, I can win these guys. When the scriptures tell us to do justice, be a voice. Be a voice. So that when the CEO of Celsius says something really, really dumb, and I know all the ladies know what I'm talking about, when the CEO of Celsius says something really, really dumb, and then the ladies are gathering together and they're going, you know what, men, just men are, they're ridiculous, they're chauvinist, they're like, they can go, no, hold on, they're not like that. I know some pretty good men. I know some pretty good men, because that happens to me when I'm hanging out with my boys, my black friends, and they're just sick and tired of white people. It's like, I can't take it anymore, man. Sick and tired of these guys. We've been patient, no more. I can go, hold on, no, I know some good white people. I know some amazing white people. You need to come to my church, man. I want women to say that about men because we seek to do justice. I'm going to wrap this up and then the band can come up and take us home. When we do this, we will truly be a light to the nations. We will truly be a light to the nations. When, when we do justice, because that's what Isaiah 42 is saying, when we do justice, we will be a light to the nations. That we will no longer be a church that has the solution waiting to see what government is going to do. Guys, we have the solution. Can I say this? Feminism is not the solution. Now, there are lots of great things that I read about. Lots of good stuff. But it is not the solution in the same way black acti activism is not the solution. There are some great things. I'd encourage you to go read W.E.B. Du Bois' work on the Talented Tenth. That is some good stuff. But it is not the solution. It is not the solution. The gospel is the solution. We have the solution. But yet we, we wait and, and we like, what, what's legislation going to do? Okay, cool. Then, then that's what we'll do. What's the constitution going to do? Okay, cool. That's what we'll do. Th that's why black activism, activism is thriving. That's why feminism is thriving. Because we as the church have failed. We have failed. We have the solution. And so the world should be looking to the church to go, listen, how are you guys doing this? Knocking on our doors going, listen, we, we, want, we want you guys to have a seat at the table. We're trying to figure this stuff out. How do we love the poor? The vulnerable, the marginalized. How do we do justice? They will only come to us if we are doing that as a community. Then we will be a light to the nations. And so I'll close with this. A transcultural community that is reconciled to God and reconciled to each other will let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's my hope. That's my hope. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your rich word, your good word.
your tough word. Um, We ask that you would help us to understand what it truly means to do justice, that this this isn't the end, this isn't everything, um, but I hope that this would be the starting point to help us to have meaningful discussions um, as we seek to glorify you, as we seek uh, to understand what it means to be declared righteous, uh, living a, a life that is right with you and then right with one another. Father, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name, we pray. Amen.